Welcome to this episode of Signs, Cosines, and Tangents. I do believe this is our 2019 episode. Yeah, we got the 2019 one, and then we'll get the 2020 one. So we look forward to our next episode in 2020. Yeah, we need to start working on that. Yeah, we really should. <clears throat> Hi, guys. Hi. And gals. Hi. And Jared. Hi. We're back. We're back. I hate when we say, like, we're back and because it it's according to podcast etiquette we're not supposed to mention any gaps in time it's like blog posts too you're not gonna be like hey i know i haven't posted in a while well <clears throat> yeah all seven of our listeners will be happy to see their rss feeds update yes i'm sure they all know what rss is 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 there's S- too many s's on S- that rss rss uh so, so yeah go ahead jared hi you take the floor how are you doing we're doing great. I, I'm just getting over a horrible flu. Yeah, you are. <clears throat> and uh, I'm just getting over a horrible year. Yeah, yeah, you are. <laughs> so so we can only go up from here. That's true. And so let's start it out. This is episode 31. So let's start. This is episode one of 2019. It is. And uh, it can only get better from here. So, so we owe our listeners a few things, don't we? I think so. Um. None of it monetary. No. But We're not asking for handouts here. Well, we do have a social contract, right? People are waiting for new content from Eagerly us. Eagerly waiting. And uh, so we need to do better. We do. At doing... But t- 2018, I don't know about you, it's, it's just been a weird... It was a weird year. I'm pretty sure we talked about that in the last podcast. Yeah. For me, it was a pretty horrendous year. Yeah. So, so we're going to start off things. I, I don't know. I'm feeling positive. It's like the, it's like every New Year's, right? Everybody goes into their like, here are my resolutions. I'm going to do better. I'm going to be better. I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to be the person I want to be. And I'd then, rather you be the person I want you to be. And then in a week, it's like, yeah, I, I want to be a better person. Um, I do. I do. It's just that. It's hard. I'm really, I'm really tired right now. I, I mean, and it's as cold soon as I get done with my nap, yeah. I'll, I'll get up and be a better person. Just like the force. And then later it's, you know, eh, I, was I really that bad all to, you know, all things considered? So, <clears throat> yeah. But I'm, I'm at that positive peak now. So, it's, so it's we can feeling. get maybe three or four shows out of you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Great. Yeah. And for the record, I want it to be very clear because I'm all about the blame. I'm the reason we didn't record any episodes. That's not true. It isn't? No. Well, there was at least two times I can recall, and I and I take full responsibility for this. Sean's like, hey, are we going to record this weekend? And I'm like, yeah. And then I didn't text him that, that weekend. And he's like, hey, are we doing it? And I'm like, no, no, we're not. It's the end of the year, and I don't need to be a better person. So, <laughs> so next time we're going to make sure that people can see you be a better person because we owe we owe the audience a live show. We said that all the way back in, in twenty seventeen. Like I think it was summer of twenty eighteen. We did one live show. Yeah, we did. <clears throat> and uh, and you did your whole testing on Facebook thing that was very popular. Yeah, it yielded massive numbers for us. Well, no, we did a we did a live show. Do you I know we recall? did. I remember. Okay, where we played Bald Boy and uh, <laughs> had weird mic issues and 
Yeah, we still had some technical issues to resolve. We have to do some more engineering work on that. We've we've well, I've I've been thinking a lot about that. So we've upgraded the network here in the studios. That's true. So, <clears throat> well, anyway, so let's move into our tangents. We've talked about our failures enough. Yeah, it's all about creating new failures. Well, let's talk about other people's failures. I don't consider. Well, yeah, we'll we'll get there. I don't consider the first tangent a failure. So I don't think so either. The first tangent, I put this in the list. I, it's just a little minor nitpicky thing. So Diablo came out for the Switch last year, and I think you've played it a good amount. At this I played point. it at New Year's Eve while you were playing Smash Brothers. You did. But they, they announced uh, shortly after the release that they were going to have an amiibo, and they released the uh, Loot Goblin. Yeah, and everybody was hoping for a really cool ami- amiibo with, like, you know, Tyrael or Diablo. Oh, or... my gosh, Tyrael would be amazing. Um, the wings? Yeah. Cool. Um, no, they released the glue goblin. I think he looks great. I think, but the, the problem I have with this amiibo, it is the weirdest out of place amiibo <laughs> out of the whole hit. And, and that's including the, the yarn Yoshis and the mm-hmm. giant yarn Yoshi and the giant the detective Pikachu. Pikachu one. And the, yeah. the rough, the reason is the base is like not circular. It's not so it's oval. Which again, most of the amiibo follow a pretty standard. Even the third party it, ones, like even the third party, you know, so Dark, I have Souls. A Dark Souls amiibo right here yeah. in my hand, and it looks just like any other amiibo. The, they use like a weird plastic that's like reflective and not matte finished, mm-hmm. and then they put like black text on the red, which kind of it doesn't look good in my opinion. No, so it just looks like Blizzard got some person to license amiibos and like, oh yeah, we can make amiibos. And um, then the design doesn't match the doesn't visual match design. Diablo. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a little more cartoony-ish than than the uh, loot goblin appears in the game. But have you, and you haven't used it yet. I haven't used it yet. So no. I've used mine, and what it does, you can use it once a day, and it opens a portal to the loot realm. The loot realm. Yes, which is where the that Queen of the sense. Goblins... He's always going somewhere. Yeah, and, and that actually was a special event that sometimes happens in the game anyways. So now it's a way that you can kind of kick it off. And any other amiibos you use summon um, horde of, like, champions. So you can get better drops by using all your amiibos. And again, you can use each one once a day. So for, like, you, you could probably level all the way up into your epic levels just by using your amiibo. Yeah, I think I should be able to. <laughs> but, uh, so, yeah, it's a little weird. I I... I it's not bad. Like, don't get me wrong. I, I think it's great that Blizzard has a relationship with Nintendo now where they're releasing Amiibos. Um, you know, hopefully we'll see something else from, well, we're not going to see anything good from Blizzard in a while, but. No. It's Overwatch of, with Amiibos. <clears throat> Overwatch Amiibos would sell like hotcakes. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So. It's a, just a weird oddity. I think it's going to go down in. Well, speaking of weird oddities, let's move into the next tangent. It's a tangent, but it's sort of, it's like a, what do you want to call it? It's like a... It's a mini discussion. It's a mini discussion? I was going to call it a nugget. I think that's fine. That's kind of weird. Yeah. I don't know why I said that. Don't do that again. I won't. Okay. So our next point of topic is a, a quick discussion on Fallout 76. So this was a game that we talked a little bit about last year, and both of us kind of were agreed that we liked Fallout, didn't agree that this made any sense. Um, and now we have the game, and 
it still doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I was with Erica, my wife, at Best Buy when we were doing Christmas shopping. And she's like, are you going to get Fallout 76? And I was like, not really thinking about it. I don't no. really have any interest in, in buying it. And I know you've played it. Mm-hmm. Friend of the show, Sean's played it. Um, I own two copies. And get, well, don't get me wrong. I love Fallout. I like the idea with playing people. It just And that is the only way I've <clears> played it. So other than the beta which I was in, which wasn't really a beta. It was an early access. Uh, Eva and I both have a copy, and we played with some of our friends right after launch, just because that's the only way to really play this game. There's no story. There's no... I mean, the quests are repetitive. Their crafting is a big thing, and we all know how much I love crafting games. Fishing. There is fishing. No, uh... It's just, no, there isn't any fishing. I want to make that clear. Uh, but the, the big question is, was this experiment a success for Bethesda? And I think overall, the public backlash has been so negative around the game itself. Maybe people aren't even giving it a fair shake for what it should be instead of what they expected. Well, and let's look at how they marketed it, though. I mean, it's a full $60 game. Like, if you say it's an experiment, right, and they went into it with, a, like, a $40 price tag and said, hey, we're trying something new. It's mm-hmm. not a full game. Don't expect a full Fallout experience. Well, and they did do that. They kind of did that. But then they did that. I mean, it went through the normal marketing channels, and people built it up, built it up with hype again. And, like, I knew what it was going to be at launch day. I wasn't surprised at all at, at the outcome, at the reaction. And first off, when was the last... I mean. Blizzard doesn't handle the direct, uh, not Blizzard, Bethesda doesn't handle the direct development of uh, EOS, Elder Scrolls Online, right? Uh, Zenimax Studios does, which is part of it's, it's a division. It's of a Bethesda. division, but they haven't. Zenimax hasn't developed the Fallout's or the the no, Elder Scroll games, but right? they were brought in to help. Are they? This. Yes. So I mean, <clears throat> you know, and, and that engine, the Fallout <laughs> engine, the Bethesda engine that they've been running forever. Yeah hasn't really been tested for multiplayer so i mean it already is buggy in real life and then adding a whole multiplayer layer on it when you make a good point which is it's not like they took the eso engine retooled it for game you know mmo combat with fallout's universe they took the actual fallout 4 engine yeah and tweaked it and then there were some weird things that came out of that like uh, your ability to hit was tied to your frame rate, <laughs> um, which is okay. I mean, they're, they're cheating the physics a little bit, but there's limitations in every engine. Uh, and then there was things like, oh, I don't know, the VATS, which is a huge component of Fallout. Why include it? Just take it out. It slows time, kind of, but you can't because you're playing with other people. And if they're not slowed then they're going to move at regular speed and you're going to be moving at slow speed. And how do you synchronize? And there's just a whole game design challenge there that I don't know why they even tried to bite that off. But the biggest problem I've experienced with Fallout 76, and then I'll come back and talk about the biggest strength that Fallout 76 has. The biggest problem is people are going in expecting a story and the experience they get in a Fallout game. Now, there's been a lot of talk about the difference between Fallout 
3, Fallout New Vegas, Fallout 4, how it's been moving more and more away from storytelling and role-playing. And more to a sandbox. And then, so we finally are at the sandbox. And there are games that have managed to be good without forcing you to experience a story. Um, but Fallout is one of those universes where emergent gameplay has always been as a complement to a story, not as a way to find a story. And, and this is a game that really works like that. You can pick up these nuggets of information and you hear stories, but th- the world, and you see all of the critics talking about this, and, and I guess I'm no different, there's something just hollow about this world. And unless you're interacting with other players, then it it feels like you're alone, and, and some people like that. But I get that in No Man's Sky. I, I, I don't see how it applies to Fallout. So... I just thought of this right now. I was thinking about Battlefield. Mm-hmm. Um, do you remember the game they released in the middle, early days of the Xbox 360? Battlefield 1943. Yes. It was the online only. It was online only. Yep. It was download only. No physical. And it was like, I don't think it was a full 60. I think it was like a 20, 30, 40 mm-hmm. price tag. <clears throat> if that's the method they would have gone for this, I don't think we would be having this conversation today. Well, and this isn't the first time that a Fallout game has strayed from kind of its core concepts. Um, we had a Fallout Baldur's Gate Alliance-style game, Brotherhood of Steel, uh, which some people have fond memories of. My memories of it were not as fond. Um, I, I don't know. So, so the strength, I think, that Fallout 76 has here is that it is a live game, and it can be fixed. Whereas a game like Fallout 4, its lack of choice in its narrative really couldn't be fixed. Uh, You were stuck with the story as it was told. They have the opportunity here, if the company chooses to invest the time and money, and from all indications we're hearing right now, it is unlikely they will. Well, think about the the development time, right? I mean, Fallout 4 came out, what, in... 2015? Yeah, it's four years ago. 2013? Or 14? Mm-hmm. No, it, was 20... it was three or four years ago. Yeah, it was like three or four. So, I mean, we're not in a full But this game originally was the multiplayer component for Fallout 4 that they detached from the Fallout 4 development because they wanted to make it into a full game. And it seems like it needs to bake in the oven a little longer. So, here's the other thing. We, we've already... <laughs> kind of labeled this a failure you know in our notes we ask is it a success i think commercially it's probably not going to survive long we've seen 60 percent discounts in the 60 days since it launched we have a very expensive microtransaction store in the game that's asking you to pay real money for items and skins for things that existed in in Fallout 4 that are not available to everybody in Fallout 76. <sighs> so they're they're basically selling you assets they already created. Yeah. And this is I mean this is the kind of stuff that just doesn't sound interesting to me as a gamer. But there's games like Path of Exile which are completely free to play 
and that are funded and supported completely by by cosmetic yep. microtransactions. And from all indications, Path of Exile is making tons of money for its publisher and developer. And they're a smaller kind of pseudo-indie studio. But if Bethesda had taken that kind of an approach, wouldn't that have probably gotten them further? There would be less of this microtransaction hype. There'd be less of the, you know. Yeah, but I don't, I think that's the difference of what they want and what their fans expect and not being able to meet it, right? People are like, they want the next Fallout. Fallout 4 didn't settle well. I played it and stopped playing it. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> I liked Fallout 3 better, honestly. And I know that's not a... I still think New Vegas is New the Vegas best. New Vegas is the best one. Yeah. But, um, there was just nothing... It just, it just felt... Fallout 4 felt empty to me. It was hollow of choice. Yeah. Again, you had characters you were interacting with, but... And the and the looting and building was fun, but really there was nothing... But I never asked for settlements in a Fallout game. No. And, well, you know, I know this wasn't on our list, but, um, uh, help me out here. My brain's not cricking, but at the Game Awards. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah. Obsidian's game. Obsidian came out with, uh, the other world. For their new game. And, yeah. It's just like. <laughs> but it's created by the people who created Fallout. I know, but it looks so much better. Well, we'll see how it actually turns out. We'll see. We'll see. It just, that got my eye more than Fallout 76 ever did. Well, and everybody's saying that at this point, too. Um, and, and, of course, Obsidian, we don't have this on here, got purchased by Microsoft. So there's a lot of questions about, like, the Pillars of Eternity series, whether that's going to continue, and I'm betting it won't. Because we've also heard that Pillars of Eternity 2 didn't sell well. Uh, but The Outer Worlds grabbed everybody's attention it was it was kind of like this year's no man's sky yeah right you remember when that premiered in 2015 and everybody was like this looks amazing oh and it's coming out this year it's the same kind of situation yeah so we'll have to see attention grabber but definitely that's only we can take out of a trailer so let's move on to another game that recently released and i i don't know if you've had any time haven't played it you haven't played it okay so I can talk at the very surface level about this, but Red Dead Redemption 2 is probably one of the best-selling games of the last half of 2018. Everybody knew that, right? We, we expected that going in. Um, there was a lot, uh, and we're talking about the Game Awards, there was a lot of hype around Red Dead 2, and everybody was expecting it to kind of eclipse god of war or Mm -hmm. you know i got worried i got worried a few times because there were games that yeah god of war came out early in the year celeste came out early out in the year Mm -hmm. um that yeah i just felt like it was gonna and don't get me wrong red dead looks great i can't wait to to play it i've got to finish spider-man first that's the rule well and spider-man was one of those contenders that was going to get overshadowed um well what i'll tell you is red dead redemption 2 is not just a retread of Red Dead Redemption. It's a prequel, which... Okay. Um, you're telling a story a little further back in time, rather than thinking about it as a prequel. Now, John Marston is in the game, and there are whole sections with John and the character you play in this version. Uh, but the story is not about that, right? And, and these are outlaws, and they are associated with that whole backstory you kind of got in the first game. But... 
it's this whole open world. And, and in the meantime, they've released Red Dead Online that, that launched two months after the game. And it's already up and running. And I, from what I understand, it's, it's had a pretty good uptake. Um, my opinion, I haven't played enough to really come down on it's better, it's worse, it's great, it's horrible. I'm enjoying it. Um, the visuals are amazing. The characters are good, but I mean, these are what we expect from these games and, and from this publisher, right? And this developer. So if you're a fan of, of cowboys and moral grayness, I mean, it, it's more than just Grand Theft Auto horse. There's no, a, that's Red Dead's always, it was more than Grand Theft Auto. It actually yeah. felt like a lot of what I'm reading with this is, you know, like the Grand Theft Auto games are sort of um, satirical and it's sort of just a cynical look on everything. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, the Red Dead games, the characters actually have redemption, feel real. Yeah. If their motivations feel real. The world feels real. Um, so, and yeah. It, it, it's, still a video about, game, it's still a video game version <clears throat> of, of history. Yeah. But it's, and, and it's, again, it's an open world game. It's a sandbox. And we'll talk more about open world here in a minute, but... For the for where I've gotten so far, the story has not grabbed me as quickly as John Marsden's story did, but it definitely seems to have more going for it. Yeah. So I'll be interested to see how it evolves. What I'm finding out more and more, and this is sort of tangential to our tangent here, but is with these big games, is I kind of like to enjoy them at my own pace. Whenever whenever they get released, I just see a lot of people kind of rushing to talk about them. Mm-hmm. These are huge games, like. Red Dead Two is huge. Yeah, how could you actually play? And I mean, I I like keeping up with gaming, and everything too. But at the same time, I kind of want to enjoy these games at my own pace. So that being said, before I formulate, well, you're not chasing opinions. a deadline. Yeah, like you can't wait to hear our review of Red Dead Redemption Two in August of 2019. I guess is what I'm saying. I'll, I will play it. Um, now, the, the interesting thing with Red Dead Two um, is all the press that's come out about Rockstar and mm-hmm. their working conditions. But this, this is game. not a new story. It's really not. It's EA not, went through it. Well, and, I mean, well, and they've been through it before with uh, LA Noir and all that stuff. Well, and that was a separate company. It was, but it was a separate studio. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's, it, these are big business games. They are going to push every envelope they can to hit that artificial window of prior to Christmas, which is what they promised, right? So you, now we're in that second window, which is January, February, which is all the games that slipped. And we've got some big games coming out in the next two months that yeah. people are excited for. But ultimately, this is a business. Yeah. And there's shareholders that want to be paid. Well, and I think I think it's interesting now is just, you know... G- gamers are a little more invested in sort of how the way games are made now, right? You have a lot of creators, especially with the indie side of thing, Mm -hmm. kind of going through the creative process. You know, people are starting to understand creators and not publishers, right? Right. People are understanding that this person or this development team makes really good games. I think the aficionados like ourselves do. I don't think the average consumer who's buying these games the average Madden or Call of Duty fan doesn't know the difference between the two studios that crank out Call of Duty every year. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I agree with you, but I'm just saying I think the number of people is larger 
Okay. Than I agree. before. And that's why the stories like this kind of reemerge and yeah. it becomes a story. You're right. It's nothing new. And mm. I mean, Rockstar Games, the Grand Theft Auto, I mean, those are the biggest of big budgets. I mean, like somebody said in one of the reviews, this is what a video game looks like with an endless budget. Well, and it's a studio that puts out effectively two franchises. Yeah. At this point. And, and they come and out. There's a third every five bully. years. Six five years. to seven years. Yeah. Uh, and they have a third, you know, kind of franchise that they're working to develop, which is the Bully series. But ultimately, they don't just turn out content. No. They, these are very big projects. And if you think of it like any major software development, and we've talked about this before, it's just another software development project, except it's perpetual. You know, it, it's the same as if Microsoft were releasing a new version of Office this year. It's the same number of people working on one of those apps. It's it's kind of insane. But we use them for education and for, you know, fun. And so we think about it differently. Yeah. Let's move on. Uh, you know, everybody's been asking me, Jared, you're the Nintendo guy, Nintendo nerd, the the, the lover, the apologist. What do you think of Nintendo Online? And my response to everybody here officially is, eh, it's there. It's a $20 tax to pay online. Uh, every other, you know, outside of PC, all the consoles have this. This They're more expensive. It works. Um, I will say that I upgraded my network equipment at home recently. We talked about that earlier. And ever since I did so, I haven't noticed any disconnection issues or anything. I've actually played Smash Online, um, and it's playable. I know a lot of people were reviewing it as soon as the game were released and was laggy, and it's a peer-to-peer base, so you can, you're only going to connect to the person closest to you. Mm-hmm. But uh, ever since upgrading everything, it's been really good. So um, is it worth it is what Sean's words are in the show notes here and it's like well if you want to play nintendo games online yes okay it's twenty dollars the the whole nes games side of it the the netflix of nintendo is again i'm not an nes i mean i'm a nintendo guy i love nes games but i've played them so much i think once super nintendo gets here and if they can get outside of the super mario worlds and the if we can get some Square Enix games or something on there, I think that's where the that Netflix of games is going to take off. But um, so I 100% agree with you. What? What? No, I mean I 100% agree. Yeah. Uh, the one nice thing is that if you buy the family plan, Nintendo encourages you to share it with anybody. They don't have to be somebody who lives under your roof. Yeah. So I I bought the family plan. So the normal plan is twenty dollars a year. The family plan's thirty five dollars a year. And you can share it with eight people. So do the math on that. Yeah. You know, and it ends up being significantly cheaper. So if you want to play with your friends, just buy the family pack, give it to them, and then just have them buy you lunch or something. That's what I did. And it's almost like Nintendo's admitting something that everybody else knows they're doing with the PS4 and the Xbox One. Yeah. And, and actually using it as a sales lever to say, here's why you want to do this. Yeah. So. So. That's it. Um, you have on here buying gifts for your friends and family to recruit them into gaming. Has yeah. that ever worked? So the answer to this really is no. <laughs> um, unless somebody was already a gamer 
I, I see this actually working more in the tabletop space for board games. Turning somebody into a board gamer right now is easy. There's all this attention to it, and there's all these really great games that are really widely available. But when it comes to video games, I, I just have never seen this as a conversion strategy. Buying yeah, a game for somebody who's not a gamer, even if they have a console. Well, there's a lot of, I mean, that's the thing, right? There's a lot of startup costs with becoming a gamer, right? Whether you look at it from the console side or the, the PC side is even you know, worse. It's like, mm-hmm. hey, I'm going to become a PC gamer. Oh, well, what well, do you got there? I, got I guess the other thing is uh, I'm challenged a bit when I buy a game for somebody, even if it's multiplayer, to get them to play it with me. Yeah. Which is really what I was aiming for with this point, which is the easiest way to make sure that you enjoy a game like Fallout 76 or Smash Brothers is to make sure all your friends have copies and that you play with them. So I gifted Smash Brothers to three people in my friend and family group this this winter. Um, <clears throat> and uh, I got Erica to play it. I got her her own copy, and she's played it of her own volition. Whether oh, nice. that will stick... We'll see. She doesn't listen to this podcast, so (laughs) no worries there. Um, And yeah, you're right. I mean, it's kind of hard because you're saying, I really like this game and I want you to like this game. Um, I don't know. I've been I've been pondering that a lot lately is how do you get people to like the things you like? And do you want people to like the things you like? Um, I've I've shared things I've liked with people and then they come into them like, this is so dumb. Why do you like this? You know, I'm, I'm uh, generalizing right now, but um, you know, there's games like the wonderful one oh one. Do you remember that game? I do. Um, I love that game and I recognize it's, it's It's not for everybody stupidity and it's not for everybody, but I realized there's a lot of charm in that game and that you can tell that the creators had a lot of fun with it, but that's not a game that's going to sell well. Um, no, and it's a it's 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 a hard sell. So you know, like it's easier to give somebody a game of Madden, right? A football game, like hey, let's play football. No, than- and I can't even get people to play Blood Bowl, which is a football game. <laughs> you know, because I have a passion for not just the strategy side of Blood Bowl, but the fun kind of gory death that's involved. Yeah, and, and I can't get people to sit down and play the board game or the video game and the video game takes all the hard work out of it yeah yeah um because nobody can get it seems like nobody gets their heads around the concept which is so i'm like vampires and werewolves and zombies and that's that's the weird thing is people i don't maybe that's this weird sound maybe that's tied into being uh just open-minded in general yeah i I tend to go into things pretty open-minded i'm not like oh that sounds dumb i'm just like show me you know i'm Maybe that's just who I am, but some people are just like football, board game. I don't wait zombie. What? Yeah, you know, it's just orcs and humans and zombies. Just, like, just play it. Just play it. Just play it. Just try something new. Um, uh, where was I going to go? This. So I found I, this. This got me into something. I found the perfect game for us to play, which is it's called Meat Boy Rival Rush. It's a two-player card game, so you and I can play it, okay. and we'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. Easy to start up. There we um, go. There you go. So you don't have still to... haven't played the Mega Man game I bought you. No, but that, I went through the rules, and it sounds like we have to sit down and like read through stuff. See, but... there, there's that barrier to entry yeah. effort. 
and and it's like you know is it going to be a good you know it's got the Mega Man name on it but is it going to be a good game so I yeah it's we we did we never do this episode of getting people to play games I I think we've talked about it in the past but I I just there's no there's no shortage and it's kind of, I mean what it comes down to is kind of there's so much to play and watch and everything you know everybody says hey did you check out Bird Box on no Netflix I didn't we're not gonna my talk answer is about no it. but I'm like I got so much other stuff I want to watch I'm not gonna yeah. I, I just do things at my own pace now yeah and it works but speaking of at your own pace <clears throat> so you went and saw a kids movie starring a video game character I did what did you think of Ralph breaks the internet so I it, it was interesting I, I love Wreck It Ralph the first one. I think it was a really good movie. I think it was Disney's sort of return back to animation. Cause I mean, it's not a Pixar film. It's D- Disney animation. Um, and I thought they did a good mix of understanding like video games, but then kind of putting a story around it that was cute. And um, so you're talking about the original, the original. So the yeah. second one, they kind of tried to recreate that. And this is, I mean, there's a lot of stuff. There's a lot, in Wreck-It Ralph 2, um, the main plot, so to speak, is the, the plot driver, I should say, is um, Vanellope's game, Sugar Rush, the steering wheel breaks in the arcade in real life, right? Mm-hmm. So they have to shut the game down. And so um, Ralph and Vanellope have to go into the internet to get a replacement steering wheel for this rare game because Sugar Rush is not a huge arcade game. So they go to the internet, to the Ebays and all this other stuff. And so they go into the internet and it's, it's how we've always seen internet depicted on film. Think Futurama. I mean, how many times have we seen this? Like we're going into the internet. Let me just say, I have a problem with this whole premise. You do? That the The characters are replacing the hardware in the physical world. Yeah. That doesn't make any sense. Because the, the owner wasn't going to buy one because it was they're expensive. expensive and yeah you know business he's got a business to silly run. business and <clears throat> so that's why arcades don't exist and then it kind of <laughs> divulges into a couple different plot lines and i think that's where i kind of had to none of them seemed fu- fully fleshed out i they were good and i wish i would have seen like a i wish that movie was just a little longer i guess but hmm. um there's this whole thing where um, Vanellope doesn't want to be in her game. She wants to be in this like post-apocalyptic racing game and it works hundred percent for the character. But the problem is that it creates a clash between her and Ralph and basically Ralph acts like an asshole. Um, <laughs> well, he always her, did to her. Oh, when, when I feel like they've already meshed that out and under, like understood yeah. that they were friends in the first one, I felt like it was the whole development cycle and it felt like we just kind of retreaded that a little bit. Hmm. Um, the second thing is Ralph is trying to make money to buy the steering wheel. So he goes on the YouTube equivalent of whatever it is in the, in the internet here. Um, and he starts making all these meme videos and that's the f- funniest part of the, vi- of the, the movie is just Ralph recreating all these meme videos of him yelling or cooking, getting, I mean, it's, it's really, <laughs> I'm going to wreck it. But there's this like glimpse of like a five second scene where he goes and, he finds the comments on the videos oh boy. and it's just a lot of vitriol and hatred and, and like one of the characters in the movie tells Ralph, like 
don't ever read the characters or the the comments. Don't read the comments. That's not. And like, I wish they would have done more with that. Because, I mean, that's something I, I think about the Internet all the time is we've got this. The Internet's created at this point. We can't take it back. And whether we know it's ultimately going to be good for society or, or bad. I think it's both. It's the, a tool. The, the historians are going to tell us in the future. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I wish I would have seen more about sort of that. That. And it's just like they, they touch on it and they're like, well, we've got other plots to go to. <laughs> and so that that happened. Um, but it just felt like they wrapped it up too fast and the ending was the ending was pretty good. But I don't know. It just felt like they it didn't come. It didn't congeal as much as the first one did. And I read reviews where people really liked it. So, I mean, you're. Your outcome may be different if you've already seen it. And don't let me detract you from seeing it because there are some funny parts. But I didn't feel like it was as funny as the first one. Hmm. Um, but it was still good. And then there was a whole scene. This is definitely a Disney. The Disney know, princess scene. Um, you know, swagging their Disney-ness where yeah. they go to the Disney world and all the Disney princesses. And there are a couple of lines. And I'm not going to ruin. There's this one scene about how, you know, Vanellope is she a princess or not? And whether she's found her way and there's this plot thread or this, this line. And I'm not, and it's one of those things of like Disney making fun of themselves in a way that I've never thought about it in all the <laughs> princess films. So I'll tell you offline after this, but um, that line and Disney being able to make fun of themselves was pretty good, but they never took it, you know, too far outside of being Disney. So, Okay, so we're going to move on to another animated film <clears throat> starring a video game character. But a comic book character. But who originated in comic books. But it was a video game character. Well, actually, show. to be fair, this character in this cream. version never appeared in his own video game. True. So no, In his own video game. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse. And, and by the way, if you haven't seen it, and you're a fan of animation or Spider-Man or superheroes or a good evening, you know, and you want to have if you're fun. In, if you're in a fan of fun and general good-hearted, you know, good-spirited go see it. enjoyment, go see it. Oh, and if yeah. you have seen it, go see it again. Because you've missed something the first time you see it. Oh, yeah. Because visually it is so busy. But not in a bad way. But this is a film that every second felt necessary to me and there's yeah, very few there's films no filler. there's no filler well the pacing i thought was great even was when fast. it slowed down you know you're like okay you need that break because your eyes are bleeding from the last five minutes of action and everything naturally flows i think into the next scene and there was all the characters felt really well flushed out i didn't feel like any character in that movie didn't need to be there and this um, is a story that doesn't focus on the traditional Peter Parker Spider-Man. This is not a, a this is not a Spider-Man movie you've already seen. Um, B this is not a story that you've seen. Uh, and and C the animation style is just incredibly unique. It, it stands out. Yes. It's it just hit all, the soundtrack was fantastic. I mean it just hits all those marks and it was I was excited to see this when I saw the trailers and everything but this blew my expectations out of the water. So I will be interested to see where Sony animation goes with this because I, they, they leave the end of the show open for a sequel and it makes sense. Um, 
But well, I mean, there's so much to work with, right? So I mean, spoiler alert: they they get into the the whole alternate timeline, which thing. is it's the Spider Verse. The Spider Verse right. it plays into a huge part of the movie, and um, we see different Spider Men. Um, we actually see two iterations of Peter Parker. It plays directly into the plot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we see Peter Parker in Miles Morales's. You know, let's call it the Prime Universe for this sake. You know, and which is ultimately the ultimate universe. It is, but it isn't, right? There's a lot of other weird things. It's I don't think it's the ultimate universe. It, it, was, it is. If you look at the Green Goblin, that's the, the ultimate Green the, Goblin. No, the designs. But there's some other things, like he didn't have organic web shooters. Um, oh, okay, yeah. There's just little. There's other little things too, like that weren't. Um, that's true. Like Octavius, I don't. Well, being a, a, I'm not a woman, spoil that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, her her name is. Yeah, yeah, right in front of your face. Well, you don't, they don't you say it. the name for so long. So. Yeah, um, but and you know, uh, just I just want to touch on some good things without spoiling it. This was one of the best depictions of Aunt May I've seen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we always see Aunt May as sort of like you know Peter wants to protect her, and she's kind of seen protected from the Spider-Man side of things, and if always I mean, seems to be ignorant. Yeah, of what's going and on. This is an Aunt May that is fully engaged in into Peter's life and. And uh, just battle ready in a way. Um, the Sp- uh, Nick Cage plays Spider-Man Noir. Noir. Um, <laughs> the Rubik's Cube joke. <laughs> You're just so good. Um, yeah, I just, I, all I can say is see it. This is one of those things when it comes out the Blu-ray, I'm definitely going to pick it up. I, I think this is one of the best Spider-Man things ever I created. think it is the best Spider-Man movie ever. Yeah. And one of the best Spider-Man stories. Yeah. Which, I mean, we, we 2018 was a good good year for Spider-Man with the game and mm-hmm. this movie, and we have another Spider-Man film coming out this this uh, summer um, that has a lot of expectations to fill out after you after know, Homecoming like that. Yeah. So, okay, another animated series. We're, we're just kind of putting all our media stuff and it's all superheroes from it here is. on out, isn't it? We always end up talking about um, Young Justice Outsiders premiered this week in the beginning of January. On the DC Universe app. DC Universe. And if you manage to slog your way through Titans, which, again, I don't even want to talk about. And and have you finished it yet? Okay, I'll I'll leave it alone. I think we're going to end up having to talk about it. But for right now... We'll have to do a a watching session then. Um, But Young Justice Outsiders were six years after Invasion. You know, chronological years. And this series picks up exactly where you would expect it to pick up. Um, if you are somebody who's familiar with the old Batman and the Outsiders stories, you know, there's all of these connections to that original comic book story from the early 80s. When Batman basically quits the Justice League and, you know, he takes a, a team of new heroes, many of which had never been superheroes before, and kind of forms his kind of black ops team. Well, there's a there's a Young Justice twist in that obviously Batman isn't the one kind of driving this, right? And if you watch the end of Young Justice Season 2, the very last episode, you know who's going to be driving the Outsiders, right? It, there's no secrets here. And in the, they're putting up three episodes a week at this point. So you get a good chunk of the first storyline um, and I think it's starting slowly. 
right? We've seen some trailers for the series, and it, you know ultimately we're going to be facing Darkseid at some point. But this starts with a completely different approach. And Darkseid and Apocalypse are, you know, the technology's always been present in this show. It's not a focus in the first three episodes. But there's another storyline that should lead us naturally to conflict with Darkseid at some point. So, I cannot... If you're looking for a reason to subscribe to DCU... This is it? This is it. It, It's an amazing series. Well-written, well-animated. Characters have depth. It's like old home week. You know, they're consistent. Yeah. Which is nice. And then our final tangent, I'll I'll let you deliver this one. Uh, I haven't seen Aquaman. Neither have I. So... Apparently we should, because it's made more money than everything this year. Or last year, I guess. I'm sure it's a fun movie. I just, I don't know. You don't like talking to a guy who talks to fish? No, I, the the tra- the trailer looks for it, like, insane. I mean, it looks like um, kind of what they did with Black Panther, of just like a like, completely insane sort of sci-fi-ish mm-hmm. mishmash world and... Um, I don't, maybe it's the burnout on the superhero things. Maybe it's the DC. But we got Captain Marvel coming up <clears throat> again. I, it looks fun, but I'm. It, but it's going to be leading right in. Is it lead right in the Captain Marvel? Uh, Cap, no, Captain Marvel. Oh, sorry, I thought you said Shazam. I was thinking. No, Captain Shazam's Marvel. coming too. Shazam, I, I want to see. I was thinking of. Uh, yeah, you're you're getting. They're all running together. Yeah. So. No, Captain Marvel, I'm excited for just for the... <laughs> I did Cap- both Captain Marvel movies <clears throat> are coming out this year. Yeah, I'm excited for just because of the time period. Like, they're going to throw an MCU movie in the 90s um, and try to make it fit in, mm-hmm. which we'll see. You know, we're, we're going to get Nick Fury's I explained. We're going to learn that, you know, the Kree and... I thought we got that in Civil Carol- War. No, we never... He just said he was... He trusted somebody too much. He never... Okay. And it was uh, Winter Soldier. Or Winter Soldier, that's right. But. Okay. So let's let's move into our main topic. Let's move into our main topic. And we got a little something for you. It never changes, Jerry. War does not change. <laughs> I have to laugh at that every time I hear it. <laughs> Um, our main topic for this episode is the concept of endless adventures. And obviously the topic of, you know, Fallout 76 and the sandbox approach, to some extent Red Dead Redemption 2, um, No Man's Sky. I mean, the, the whole question of do we really need 77 game, big major game releases a year kind of got me thinking. Do I need more than No Man's Sky or Starbound or Terraria or Minecraft or any of these kinds of sandbox games? And, you know, that that also started this process where I was looking back and going, why do we have games like Minecraft or Fortnite, which really could be played forever? Um, what makes them click with people? And... For me, I'm not sure I can answer the Fortnite question because it's not the type of game that well, does. Well, I mean, that, that ties into a traditional multiplayer game, right? Why does 
why do people play Splatoon or or Rocket League continuously? I think I mean Fortnite fits in that realm, just the battle royale method. Right, but battle royale is the hotness of the moment. Right, and eventually, like survival was the hotness of last year. Correct, and and Fortnite was originally a survival game, but interesting, isn't it? Yeah, um, but it was failure as a survival game. Yep, uh, it was a kind of a tower defense survival. Yeah, uh, which nobody plays that mode anymore. But um, and most, I think the Switch versions and the other don't mobile even have versions it. don't even have that or reference it. Well, because that was the commercial version of Fortnite, which now it's free to play, so that they can sell you skins in the microtransaction stores. But um, no, this was you know I just I had a moment of depth here where I was going, why do these games keep getting played? Well, I mean, we've played Minecraft off and on for fifteen years, and uh, maybe that maybe not that long, maybe ten, but. Why? What is it about these games that people resonate with? And for me, what I see as a common trend is this ability to kind of determine my own path in a game. Now, I love narrative games. I love role-playing games. I love directed storytelling. I, 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 I have a passion for that. But there are moments where I just want to have some kind of chill music playing in the background. And, you know, again, I'm not somebody who likes to craft in games, but I will still play a Minecraft or a, a No Man's Sky or one of those types of games and go hunt things and just kind of experience that other world. I mean, what are your thoughts? So <clears throat> we're talking about like, you can consider some open world games like this too, right? Where there's still activities to do. Um, I don't know. I think it's, I think it's an expression just to build, you know, we've talked about sandbox games before and just to build these huge ecosystems. What keeps people coming to them is interesting. Cause you mentioned, you know, one of the reasons I keep coming to rocket league. And I know this is not, I don't know if you'd consider this part of what you're talking about, but is just the gameplay and and the progression of myself seeing my, myself get better at it, mm-hmm. and the reassurance with Rocket League that there's not going to be a Rocket League two in three years or Rocket League three, um, you know, with fighting games, it's hard to kind of in you have to kind of go in all in mm-hmm. because in two or three years it's going to be Street Fighter six and you're going to have to relearn everything. So, you know, Minecraft, I played it ten years ago. I know what I'm getting into. I can go and play that now. I know what Minecraft was and is and oh they've added a few little tidbits here mm-hmm. um, you know what what keeps I think it's we talked about I think sometimes it's the worlds um, and it's you know you talked about emerging gameplay um, I don't well, know That's and, all- and you make a good point and I didn't want this to be about open worlds alone because there are some of these games that are just that are not open world games and where I was really kind of going down my you know mental rabbit hole was around why do we keep playing these games right when you have let's just say 20 triple a titles there's, yeah there's a continuous stream of games coming out in a day. year that yeah. are all competing for your time and your attention and your wallet and you know at the stage of life i'm at 
and I think you're in the same boat looking around me in your basement. Uh, we have the disposable income to effectively buy all of these games if we want them. Uh, we're privileged, right? So we have that capability. But even though we do, you know, and, and again, this is where I was going down the rabbit hole a little bit. I was looking at the game releases for this fall. And I said, okay, I bought three of the big five games. I don't have time to play three of those big five games. And in this week, when I was kind of unwinding after New Year's, I had some free time and I looked around and I said, okay, what do I want to play? I reinstalled No Man's Sky on my PC. But I have all the brand new games that came out two years later. And I just, it got me thinking about this. So we've mentioned No Man's Sky, we've mentioned Minecraft. <clears throat> These are very distinct worlds with distinct mechanisms and creation, right? There's not, yeah, we've seen Minecraft clones, Dragon mm-hmm. Bat Quest builders, and a couple, even Terraria, I guess you can consider. Not really, but it's its its own thing. It's its own juggernaut at this point. Right. And so you're not going to get that feeling, I think, from anything else. Same thing with No Man's Sky. I mean, we've seen people try to replicate that, and but I don't think you're going to get that No Man's Sky feel. And I, I mean, it's a little intangible, but that that soundtrack that those visuals and just that freedom in, in that, in that world to go from planet to planet. I don't think anything captures that the way no man's sky does. No, I think that's fair. Um, but is it about <clears throat> the gameplay? Is it about wish fulfillment? Is it I think rewards? it's about feeling right. I mean, it's like when you go back and you listen, it's like your your most, if you go back to your music or you go back to your albums, like your favorite album, you're like you remember playing that album. You remember just sitting and listening to that album multiple times because that album has a feel to it i mean i'm <laughs> you're I, dating both of us huh? because people don't listen to music that way anymore yeah i mean you don't buy an album where you have a and b sides and yeah there's lead tracks and, and because of the 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 micro economy around music that the itunes store created yeah most people don't consume music that way yeah i agree but i mean I just remember listening to albums and, you, and it's like, you know, like this song comes and then this other song comes right after it. Mm-hmm. That feeling. I mean, I think that's why we play some of these games. I don't know if there's a word for that, but it's, it's, it's just sort of like, you know, I, take me off the ropes here. Go no, no, you're fine. <laughs> I think you're, you're verbalizing the same kind of yeah. points that I was running up against it's which like is a, it's, it's like it's like familiarity it's like going back to your favorite pizza place right i mean mm-hmm. the food may not be the it's best not pizza the you've best ever. right yeah. it's not the best and if you're a foodie you're like well you know it's but it's just that that coziness what's the the scandinavian word for like um for like home and hearth and kind of making things cozy ikea <laughs> no i'll look it up but uh um let's see keep talking okay but so again i think you make a good point it it does come down to emotional connections for me too right so i'll play symphony of the night about once a year i'll I'll just pick it up and play it and i've it's a game with a finite story and finite levels and heige it's it's h-y-g-g-e heige or or heige it's it's the Danish and Norwegian word for a mood of coziness and comfortable uh, feelings with wellness and contentment. Wow, that's so they, a have word a, of, they have a word for it. I've never heard that before. Um, 
Yeah, I, I remember reading about this a while ago, and it's it's just sort of like it's like when you everybody has their own version of this of what makes you feel comfortable, and I think that's what we're talking about when we talk about these games. We keep going back is is, is it's a form of that. And is there anything to do with kind of the the endless games, games that don't have you know it's, a beginning it's, and an end? It's funny that you mention endless games, but I've seen people play games with a beginning and end and endlessly play them for the mechanics or the bugs or exploits. I mean, I remember I've played a link to the past so many times. It's my favorite game to the point where when I watch somebody play it for the first time, Mm -hmm. it was excruciating, but also enlightening in a way of like, I know what you should do or you, you know, and it's just all those mechanisms and the world and just kind of how things work is just a second nature to me. But to see somebody go through that for the first time and a not pick up on a couple things, b maybe not appreciate the way you do. You know, we were talking about giving games to people, but mm-hmm. is is interesting. And it's I don't know if there's an explanation for that, but I mean, I I consider a link to the past an evergreen game. I can go back. I, I used to play Super Metroid every fall, and I did this for like eight or nine years. I would just. Hmm. I would every November I would pick up Super Metroid and just play through it. I'd played through it many times, but I'd still get that enjoyment out of it, right? I mean, it was just one of those games. Yeah, I know where to go. I know what's going to happen and how to beat the boss. I, I, so, this is an interesting perspective for me because one of the things we hear, and, and I've encountered this in the last twenty years, over and over and over again, which is. You know, there used to be this arbitrary thing that was in most game reviews about the length of a game. Yeah. You know, oh, this is a six-hour shooter, and you're paying $60 for it. Or this is Interstate, or not Interstate 76, (laughs) Fallout 76. I-76 is a a whole different game. But does I-76 run through West Virginia? I feel like it... Is there an I-76? Seventy-seven, seventy-five. Yeah, it would have to be north of and seventy. But anyway, oh yeah, that's up near Akron, seventy-six. Well, but I was talking about the old game, Interstate seventy-six, which was a Sierra game, which was a combat game where you were driving cars. But no, anyway, the point is that we get a lot of this conversation, and I'm I'm trying to figure out if it's artificial around the length of games, the value you get out of the experience. You know, is oh. this a good value for $70? It's interesting you bring that up because, I mean, we, we've seen that. I think that's where we are right now. And I think developers and the indie scene has kind of picked up on that is think of Assassin's Creed. And I'm not saying the most recent ones, but think of like the the Assassin's Creed 2 games and the 3s and the 4s. And just think about how many hours it takes to complete those games. Well, and actually, the last two, Origins and Odyssey, are way bigger than any of the previous games. And just think about the activities that you're doing to complete those games and just how repetitive they are. Yeah. So when you're talking about value and repetition, I don't I don't see and I think I think that it was always a bullet point or a checklist they tried to get through is like how many hours of gameplay, you know, well we've got, you know, 300 fetch quests or something like that. Well, and it's no, that's a great point because I was I was watching somebody play through Final Fantasy 13 2. Because I never finished it, right? And I wanted to see the end. And the the thing, you know, Eva's sitting on the couch. She's been sick for a week. So she was subjected to my watching of things on 
um, Twitch and YouTube. And she looked over and she goes, you know, this is the problem with these games. They say that they're they're 300-hour games, but you spend most of your time grinding. Yeah. And grinding isn't fun to her, right? And and it, to some extent, it's not fun to me And either. that's another thing. It is to some people. When you think about, like, Diablos or those types of games, they're very grindy. Yeah. But sometimes the you, you put in the show notes is those, those uh, gameplay loops, right? Is that gameplay loop efficient, right? Is that is that grinding? Is it like... Are you actually getting get better gear. at the game? Yeah, are you getting better? Are you, are you getting that constant dopamine check mark, you know, yeah. where it's like, oh, yeah, I want to do it again, you know? Yeah, um, is the grind about achievement or is it merely about resource gathering? Right. Right, or progression in an artificial level. Um, but, so, I mean, these these are all concepts, and, I, and and we don't have answers to these. These are things that... No, this is a thought experiment. Yeah, um, we wanted to bring up and just so kind of... It's, fun, it's funny you mentioned, like, uh, you know, another thing that was mentioned in, in old game reviews, and I think it's still mentioned, is replayability. Right? Yeah. Do you want to replay this game? Oh, yeah, it has m- tons of replayability factor. Is that is the replayability factor a factor for everybody anymore? Um, especially with as, as fast as as many games come out, right? Are you going to go back and play this game? There are games I do go back and play, and I mean, we've seen re-releases and remasters and re-releases. <laughs> it's been the entire industry for the last five years. And I, I used to have a couple of friends in college, and they would play one thing and they would never play it again. And it was the same thing with their movie movie viewing. It was like I've watched it, I've seen it, I don't want to watch it again. I want to do something new. Hmm. I don't, I think it's a rare trait. I don't I don't know if that is a rare trait. It's not my trait. No, I, I like either. to I like to savor things. I like if there's something I really like, I want to kind of take it. You mentioned Spider Verse. Definitely want to watch that again. I I, I just want to take it in and, and appreciate it more. You know, it's sort of like a sponge that you're wringing out. It's like, is there anything else in there? Well, and another reason I was thinking about this is, you know, I was looking at my buying habits over the course of this year for games. And again, am I buying the games because I want to play them or am I buying the games because I think that I might want to play them sometime in the future? And I, again, have the income that I can effectively make a bad choice and buy something that I probably will never play. Look at my Steam library. There's there's 490 games in my Steam library. I am never playing some of those games. I didn't probably spend very much on some of them either. But, you know, is this also the case where we make the argument that the length of a game, a shorter game with a more concentrated game loop, with a more impactful story experience, is in some ways a better ever green game than... So, so I put that in my, in my notes. Um, you know, I, I think we need shorter games. I think it's an absolute need in the industry now. I know that people talk about game length as if it's something, you know, we have to have these 40, 60 hours experiences. But if, you know, if I play through like minute was a, and it's, it's, mm-hmm. it's funny that the game, but minute was an indie game that came out last year. I think we, I did a review. Yeah. I did a minute review of minute. Yeah, you did. Um, that game takes maybe a two or three hours to play. I don't, yep. I don't remember it being longer than four hours. We play, Eric and I played through it in one sitting. I love that game. I think it's a great game. And I think it flourishes more because of its length. You know, they could have padded it out or added. I think game length is something all these games need to focus more on is making a more compact, efficient experience. 
you know, oh, it's got 300 levels. What do you do? How many of those levels are good? Um, you know, Donkey <laughs> Kong Tropical Freeze, and I know I'm mentioning Nintendo games here, but um, I can't think of a bad level in the bunch in that game. Whereas, you know, New Super Mario Brothers U or the Mario U's, there's a couple, there's a few duds in there that the levels don't feel unique. Mm-hmm. Um, the Rayman games, I mean, those have a ton of levels and they're all really good. So, I mean, it's a balance and I don't know if it's easy to achieve, but uh, somebody mentioned this. Somebody did, I was watching a a review of, there's a YouTube channel called Girlfriend Reviews. Eric hmm. and I started watching it. It's reviews from the perspective of, of a girlfriend of watching her boyfriend play games. It's not a review of the game. Mm-hmm. It's a review of whether you want to watch somebody play the game. It's really good. Okay. I, I recommend checking out. But they did a, a review of Last of Us. And something I pointed out in their review, I totally forgot, is there are chapters in that game. Mm-hmm. I doubt there's going to be chapters in the next Last of Us game. I feel it's going to be like an open world, you know, narrative experience. I don't, I, you don't see that anymore. You don't see like a narrative linear experience. Everything has to be an open world. You go back to revisit areas. What was the last, even the last God of War? I mean, yeah, it's linear in its storytelling, but it's an open, open world. It's it's linear in progression, but the environments are open. <clears throat> yeah, you know, we don't see games where you are in an environment and then you don't go back there. And right. Well, that's, that's economy of resources as well. Yeah. But I mean, typically, I mean, an open world is you're going to have a ton more... Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes pointless activities. Yeah. But why is Skyrim an endless game? Skyrim is, Skyrim is the, oh my gosh, I love Skyrim. Because you can approach a game from every angle. You can The, the thing I remember about Skyrim when it came out, and this is nothing new, but after it came out for a week or two, you could talk to people and be like, everybody had a different story mm-hmm. of how they approached the game, what they encountered. Um, you know, the quests they were going on. I mean, now we've all played it. We've all done, you know, all three of the Adventures Guild, the, the Sorcerers. I mean, we've all played that game. So the stories aren't unique. But, but again, people tend to talk about the things that happened while they were on their way to do those things. Yeah, it right? was. It was, And that was how Breath of the Wild was too, right? I mean, Breath of the Wild was, ooh, shiny thing over there. Oh, wait, I'm getting distracted with what's happening with me now. Well, um, and it's funny because... You know, we've had Alex, my daughter, on the show, and, you know, when she started playing Fallout New Vegas for the first time, and I'd already played it, right? And she's playing on the Xbox 360, and she goes, well, you know, I want to do something different. And I said, okay, do a naked plumber. And so we came up with these rules for how she would play the game and what she could and couldn't use. And so we added our own layer of gameplay on top of this framework of a narrative. I had a friend that always played the uh, Fallout. Is it Fallout? Yeah, the Fallout games as Scotchman. <laughs> no intelligence, all strength, and he only like anything that could modify with alcohol, he would do it. Yeah, so I mean, this is <laughs> this is exactly what I'm talking about. Where we find our own gameplay. We find our own fun. It's. I mean, I think that's one of those things of like. I don't know if there's a word for that. Imagination, I think, is probably the root of it. Is like. Finding it's like when people watch bad movies, right? Mm-hmm. Horrible movies. You're able. It's like it's why Mystery Science Theater three thousand exists. Is you're able to take this objectively bad thing, maybe subjectively Atlantic Rim, maybe. Yeah, and you're able to wring out enjoyment of it. You're able to make the best of it. 
Mm-hmm. And maybe we what, what, what was the word you used in one of the podcasts is uh, negativizers or something like that. I don't remember. It's people I don't, that, I don't, that remember. don't have a good time and make the they're just not able to find the enjoyment in the here and now. Oh and, well, yeah, yeah. And I think that's where these games, those games, is they're they're open enough where there's lots of enjoyment to be taken out of them in one way or another. I mean, that's why the Bethesda games, to bring it kind of full loop here, years is. You know, the reason that the Fallout games and the Elder Scroll games are fun is because those systems can be exploited and, you know, glitched. And, and you can find many different types of enjoyment out of those games than were intended. So I'm glad you brought it back to this because that's exactly what people are expected to do in Fallout 76. And everybody's talking. And, and I can I can attest to this. It feels empty. And it's not because I can't find my own way in the world. I do it in every one of those games. But there's just something about that game that does not lend itself to that approach. And it's it's strange because it's exactly the same systems, exactly the same environment, maybe too much of the same environment. And maybe that's where it fails. Because, you know, when I had the most fun, it was fighting mobs of enemies and trying unique suboptimal ways to solve a problem. Yeah, my, I, fa- sorry, my favorite thing about the Fallout games was always going into like a base with like, you know, 10 people to figure out how I'm going to get in and out of the situation. Yeah. You know, unscathed. It was just that, that I'm in danger, that apocalyptic, I'm in danger. I've got to get in here and try not to kill myself. No, that makes perfect sense. So obviously we've kind of, roamed a bit in this topic but again we wanted to talk about this as just kind of that thought experiment to to get people thinking why do you play games what's a game that you go back to and and why tetris attack well we know your love of tetris no it's not a tetris game that's right you've talked about this a few times yeah um but so we'd love to hear from any of you who are listening about, you know, kind of, do you have a view on the idea of an evergreen game or an endless adventure? And and how do you define it? Or have you found those experiences? Or has it never been something that's experienced, that you've experienced? And, and you know, any feedback, any stories, those are the types of things that I think we need to start having a dialogue about. Uh, we can't be buying into the merchandising hype train all the time. Yeah. And my fear is that, and then I saw this when I was writing reviews, every week somebody was putting out a, this is a 50-hour game, this is a 10-hour game. The reality is most of us know if we like a game within two to three hours. Yeah, and again, reviews are, uh, I don't. we've never done our episode on game journalism yet, but. I don't so, know if I've mentioned, there was a, a game came out. One of the things that really kind of, uh, I don't know what the word is. It, it's like when you've consumed something for such a long time and then there's this like, it's like when you drink. If you've ever, if, if you have any, you know. If you're old enough. Partake. Um, <laughs> is like if you ever had like a, a drink where you drank it so much, like, and then you end up having, obviously I'm, I'm too old to do that now, but when I was younger, I'll tell you, it was Parrot Bay. Ugh. coconut rum i love that stuff and i would drink it drink straight from the bottle but there was one time where jared little jared we'll call him little jared 
had a little too much of Parrot Bay to the point where he, you know, mm-hmm. it came back. And uh, <clears throat> he experiences the consequences a little earlier. Yeah. And after that point, I didn't want to touch the stuff. Yeah. Um. So anyhow, it's taking this in the games and in, in reviews. I re- read reviews, but there's this, this one review that made me sick of them after I read it. And it was about, of all games, Double Dragon Neon. Wow. Do you remember that game? Yeah. So it was it was a Xbox 360 arcade game. It was uh, made by WayForward. Mm-hmm. Right? WayForward. Yeah. Um, who had done sort of retro games and they did the Shantae series and all mm-hmm. this other stuff. Pretty good pedigree, pretty good track record. So they took Double Dragon, it's just a beat em up game, and they threw this huge, like, 80s nostalgia, like, paint coat and soundtrack and just, like, way over the top 80s. And it, it, it totally did not take itself seriously. And in terms of gameplay, it was no different than Double Dragon. Kick, right. punch, 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 kick, right? I mean, and this reviewer was just like, this game is the worst. <laughs> it, it's, it's, it, the gameplay is not fun or inventive. And it's just like, have you played Double Dragon? And do you appreciate the 80s or 80s, you know, shit yeah, at all? Were you're you not born, the right audience. Were you born when the game came out? And it's like when you read reviews, I like to read reviews of people that really appreciate a series. Um, and one of those is Tim Rogers. Mm-hmm. He works for Kotaku now. He he's really funny, but um, he reviewed Dragon Quest Eleven. Yes. Oh god, it was and a Dragon, great. Yeah, it's a great review, and it, it's really interesting. I love talking to people that really are absorbed with something, even if it's if it's something I don't find enjoyment from. Mm-hmm. It's I think it's it's enjoying for everybody if you can find something that's really absorbed by something. Um, and to find out why and to talk to them about why. So back to evergreen games, back to our discussion, let us know what those games are for you. You know, what, is there something that you play that nobody's ever kind of seen, you know, that you've played very often play repeatedly, or it's just, you know, are you still playing Minecraft in 2018? You know, 2019. Oh, good God. I did it. I did it verbally. (laughs) Um, or are you one of those people that find the enjoyment in Fortnite that Sean and I don't find in? Um, you know, and do you think that game is going to last? You know, is it going to be here in a, in three or four years? So, well, and that's a whole other problem with games as a service. Yeah, but uh, so that's that. That's that. Um, do you want to handle this one? Sure. So we're moving on to the uh, feedback section of the podcast, or fans giving of the back feeds. And we want to thin or thin, uh, we want to thank Superfan Kyle yet again. Yep. For his three and a half hour long voice message. Yeah, it was longer than this episode, which is saying something. Yeah. Um, we're, we were originally going to play segments of it, but we thought you know we could probably just hit the high points. Yeah. Um, and so Kyle gave us some feedback on the last podcast. From 2004. Yeah. Uh, that we did on a regular schedule. And uh, first off, he he agreed with us about the Pokemon games. And let's go specifically. He's a Pokemon fanatic and explained that, you know, he was, as a fan of the series, again, has that passion that uh, Jared was just talking about. Uh, he, that he loved the Let's Go games. And he's hoping that they kind of carry some of those features into the next main series game. 
uh, because they updated the gameplay for a modern approach instead of just keeping it the classic way. Right. And his next topic he talked about um, was, what was it? Mobile games. Mobile games. Well, first off, he insulted Kingdom Hearts, which we'll come back to in a later episode. Probably right around when Kingdom Hearts 3 comes out. Because I do want to talk about that game series. But uh, he called it a baby game and, and said she should move, all, move along. And then we talked about mobile games. And he, he mentioned a mobile game, Attack the Castle, or yeah. uh, that has been out since before Angry Birds that he recommended to people. So if you're interested in... And he in, said, unlike Angry Birds, it's fun. And which, I have a confession to make. When Angry Birds came out, I was on the Angry Birds hype train. Angry Birds 2, Angry Birds Seasons. You couldn't throw Angry Birds on a. I have Angry stuff. Birds Star Wars on yeah, my Yeah, Angry Birds Star Wars, tablet. Transformers. Give me all of them. And then it was just that point where it's like, I'm done. It just is a great physics game. Yeah. It's a lot of fun. Um, so... He, he talked about that, and then he talked. He followed up on the whole tabletop simulator and getting a gaming group together, and and you know for friends of the show as well as you know getting. Ironically, you know Jared and I met playing role playing games, so we should have some idea of what we're going to do around that. He did have some good advice, which is we just set a time and say you want to be be involved, show up. If you don't, have a nice day. And I think that that's probably the only way we're going to coordinate anything. You know, now that you mentioned that, when we were, we were talking uh, before the show about, you know, we've talked about doing uh, Starfinder, mm-hmm. right? Starfinder. Starfinder. For, as the base for the, the RPG that we we're going to play. And I brought up Stargate because I've been watching a lot of it lately. Um, <laughs> but no, that drop-in, drop-out experience, wouldn't it be cool if there was an RPG game where it was just like, oh, he's not here this week or this episode. Mm-hmm. He's... He's off surveying on PX3997 this week. You know, he's doing well, kind of interesting. Most games actually support that pretty well. The problem is getting through an entire story or in one setting. module. Yeah, because every time we would play with our group, it was like, okay, it's the fourth week of being in this dungeon. <laughs> yeah, J- well, Jared's not off having his own adventures right now because because we're all here and you haven't <laughs> found the exit yet oh, or the thing you're looking, the MacGuffin. But, uh, so we'll be talking more about what that's going to look like. We do want to use the Discord. We can actually run games through Discord. Uh, there's a number of bots that we could actually start a channel in there. Um, so again, outside of uh, of Kyle, if you're interested in joining us, drop into the Discord and let us know. I've posted some other references and some suggestions, and, and we'll see how it goes. Yep. So, missed opportunities. We try and do this every episode. It doesn't always happen. No. Um, But my missed opportunity for this episode is legacy board games. Now, it seems like it probably shouldn't be a missed opportunity because it's kind of a current trend in board games. But it's been going on for a few years. Can you explain? You've explained it to me before, but can you explain what legacy board games are? So legacy board games are, are the craziest thing in the world if you're somebody who likes to replay board games. Because the whole concept behind a legacy board game is, as you play it, things change for future playthroughs. So an example, and I'm going to take this for a Jared spin for a second, is this, you've played Monopoly many different times. Mm-hmm. But let's say through your third playthrough of Monopoly, uh, Boardwalk gets destroyed by a boat accident. And so every playthrough of Monopoly in the future, Boardwalk doesn't exist. Now it's a 
bad explanation. Well, a better example would be the the Atlantic properties actually start going up in value. Yeah. Yeah. And Boardwalk <laughs> becomes a slum. <laughs> and so by the third time you've played it, because you're progressing in time. I want to play this version of Monopoly. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. Now Hasbro is going to steal legacy Monopoly. Um, but that, yeah, you basically progress through and, and you change the game. Now, games like Betrayal of the House on the Hill have a Betrayal Legacy game, which we played this Christmas with the family, finally. And we've gotten through, like, there's 14 chapters in the game, and then afterwards you can continue to play it. But the change aspect of it was really not something I had expected to enjoy. I'm like, I like my games because they're different every time I play anyways. I don't need to tear up cards or put stickers on things. And, and you know, effectively, at the end, I'm going to have to buy another $55 board game. Well, the reality is that I don't know that I care now. I played through a few of these games over the holidays, and I'm like, this is actually an awesome way to play. Because our experience has an impact going forward. And, and that's something I really didn't expect to like. So... If you haven't played a legacy board game, and, and some of the most popular ones out there, obviously, Portrayal of the House on the Hill, uh, Time Stories, Pandemic. And, and Pandemic. Pandemic has two whole season Pandemic games that change as you play them. So, that's mine. What's yours? Uh, I tried, I grasped here something, but Miyazaki films? Um, what? What? You just discovered Miyazaki? No, I mean, I I have honestly not seen most of them. So, I think this show is ending with this episode. Now, Sean's a big fan. Like we, uh, uh, Nausicaa is my favorite a, movie of all time. Yeah, and I bought I bought the movie and I've watched that. And I the um, manga mm-hmm. is something I bought a couple vacations ago to read, and I ended up loving it. And um, but yeah, it's not something I kind of grew up with, and you know, it's something I've read from a distance about all these films, my neighbor Totoro, all those movies. And so Spirited I it away. Yeah. And I've seen, I've Kiki. seen like Ponyo. I've seen that, um, Porco Rosso, but I haven't seen them all. Laputa. So Erica got me like two or three Christmases ago, the, the Miyazaki collection. So I've been going through each of the movies and watching, I just watched the castle in the sky. Wow. So, um, and I guess my, my point is these are, these are really good. These are, they're amazing. They're timeless. They're amazing. Um, and and surprisingly, even the English dubs are good too. Because I mean, they were published by Disney, and they ended up getting a lot of interesting actors, like known name actors, to mm-hmm. do the dubs for them. And so they're not like phoned in in the way that you would imagine. Sort well, of the original Nausicaa in the Valley of the Wind that I saw when I was a kid was phoned in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um. It was called Warriors of the Wind, and it was edited and very weird. Yeah, and I've I've just loved them so much, and I, it's just one of those things. Like it's, I always love when I come across things that were released forever ago. Does your collection include Lupin the Third? No. Oh, you need to see Lupin. That's yeah. I don't think I have that one. And and that's one of the ones that's not Miyazaki's property, which is probably why it's not in there. But Lupin is one of those movies that's just a lot of fun. He's a fun character, but uh, Miyazaki's version of Lupin was was really fun. Yeah. So it's it's one of those things. It's just like a treasure trove of like, yeah, this is, these are all old, 
and yeah, I, I they're easily. I mean, I go into Best Buy, and I'm sure they're on some of the streaming services now. But I mean, even if if they're not, if you go into a Best Buy, a lot of these films are like ten dollars a pop. Yeah, on Blu-ray, and, and I would say they're well worth it. So. I guess that's my missed. Isn't that like the no? The, that's the, the a, ultimate version of a missed a good opportunity. Example of a missed opportunity. Yeah. Okay. All right. It is a time in a show where we get oh, to man. identify something oh. that is just wrong in the world. Oh man! So but the world has rectified it. But <laughs> um, yeah, between when we put the show notes together and and this episode, the world has already self-corrected the R one dumb thing. Yeah. But I'll let Jared talk about this. So, Sean, do you know who Soldier Boy is? No. Yes, yeah. I do. I know who he is. Um, so it came up. <laughs> this is it's funny. You Google him now, and this is like the number one thing he's known for now. But um, not his music. <laughs> no, is um. So, like a month ago, I want to say it's a month ago, maybe a little bit longer. It was revealed that he has a, a Soldier store where he sells lots of different wares um, direct to you, the consumer cash money. And a couple of these things were soldier branded video game consoles with, what? yeah. Um, and they were rivaling, you know, the, the switch, I think even reference being better than a PS4 or Xbox one. And they had all these games preloaded. <laughs> well, um you mean illegal roms yeah <laughs> so these were uh like generic knockoff consoles from china but he had rebranded them under the the soldier the soldier brand that you you and your parents have known the love and trust over the years <laughs> um like disney <laughs> and i mean he had like a well, what was funny is he had like a soldier um mobile console and everybody was like why didn't he call it the soldier boy? You know, like a game boy. And then finally there was one, but anyhow, I am sad to report to you as of this podcast that, uh, the lawyers have gotten involved and you can no longer purchase these devices for unknown reasons. You're sad. <laughs> I am. I'm kind of sad. It'd be amazing to see one of these up and close. I, I don't think I'm sad, but <laughs> It's just so funny. It's especially dumb. It's so dumb, but... All right, well, we have to counter that okay. with our one gratifying thing. Yes. And this is a big one for us. Uh, you know, we, we schedule our lives around this at least twice, if not three to four times a year. Yeah. Which is starting the day after we record this episode, uh, AGDQ... Awesome games done quick. We'll be kicking off for 2019 winter. January 6th. Yep. And that goes for a week. Goes for an entire week, 24 hours. Of um, speed running. Of speed running and just general appreciation of video games, new and old. And it's an event that, man, it seems it's, we just had one in October um, for your Halloween December party. too. Did, no, it's Halloween. It was, You're right. It was, it was your, Halloween. It was Halloween. So it seems like we just came off of one, but that was only for a couple of days. This is the the full week event. Um, we I, we don't watch any other media during this week. We don't turn on the TV. We don't watch the news. <laughs> you just I mean, stream. We stream it on Twitch, and we and we watch you know some of these recurring personalities in the in the speedrunning community mm-hmm. show up. Um, 
I love it. Sean loves it. You know, yeah. my family loves it. I've got my family watching it too. Um, it, it's and it's I I highly recommend it, even if you turn it on for a few hours. And the great thing about this entire event is it's all for charity. And the awesome games done quick. The winner one, they do the Prevent Cancer Foundation, mm-hmm. and the the obscene amounts of money that they raise is just like it's uplifting, right? I mean, we're, there, there there's there's entertainment being provided in, in video games, and it's it's just one of those times where I feel like, you know, gamers are giving back. Gamers giving back, and like yeah. there's actually a, a positive view of video games in the world, and um. It's just an uplifting time of year. So, all right. Well, I think that brings us to the end of the episode. Yes. So we'll see you in about eleven months. Yep. For our, for twenty twenty episode. Well, maybe we'll do a twenty nineteen wrap up. Twenty nineteen retrospective. Yeah. In which we review all the episodes on science, cosines, <laughs> and tangents, and kind of do a clip show. Of but all seriously, the- until the next episode, have fun. Keep gaming. And let us know if you've got thoughts or, you know, an interesting topic you want us to cover. Uh, we we want to be as interactive as possible. We hope to have an actual schedule for the live episode uh, posted on the Discord. So if you're not on Discord, please join us. Yep. And uh, until next time, have fun gaming. Yep. Bye. Whoa, there's a lot of characters in here. All the veterans returning and some newcomers too. Let's get ready to smash. A new Smash Brothers is here. Everybody's confirmed. A massive roster list. I wonder who they nerf. Zelda, Pikachu, Sonic, Bowser, Little Mac, Mewtwo, Olimar, Richter, Falco, Jigglypuff, Villager, Daisy, Diddy Kong, Robin, Brawler, Ridley. Made them, made them, gotta made them all. All the hype is here Dreams are coming true Except Waluigi's face